Got to remind me to start that. So if you weren't here at lecture, you just missed a wonderful diagram of the, the brain and the fist and all that other kind of stuff, whatever. Their problem for not attending. So we go into the minutia and we forget that we're actually studying humans. And humans, all of us, are incredible in what we can actually do. You are all skilled in lots of different things. And so I want to show you a video that kind of brings out what we as humans are capable of doing. The performers in this video are all differently abled individuals. It was shot in, uh, prior to the 2016 Rio Paralympics. And so just watch what these people are capable of doing. Yes, I can, suddenly, yes, I can. Gee, I'm afraid to go on as turned into, yes, I can. Take a look, what do you see? 133 pounds of confidence, me. Got the feeling I can do anything, yes, I can. Something that sings in my blood is telling me, yes, I can. I was just born today, I can go all the way, yes, I can. 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 Hey, yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Are you ready? I can climb Everest. Yes, I can. I can fight here all night and never rest Yes, I can I was just born today I can go all the way Yes, So, as humans, we have become, in, or can become, incredibly skilled in a wide variety of areas. 
And this course, whoa, get out of here, sorry. This portion of the course, I'm going to be talking about skilled performers. Okay? So Professor Sergio started talking about motor control. I'm going to talk about the motor learning component. So motor control is the neural stuff. How does a signal get from your foot up to your brain and then back down to your foot? And how is, who's controlling what part of your body, etc.? Motor learning is looking at the processes involved in acquiring motor skills. How is it that you have learned to do all the physical activities that you can do? Some of you at a high, very high level. And we're going to talk about it primarily from an information processing perspective. We'll be talking about what is information, and I'm going to present a model to you, and we're going to talk about that model. So if we're going to analyze skilled performance, what is a skilled performer? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to figure out what is a skilled performer? What are they capable of doing? What makes, or what are the factors that make them capable of doing their thing? And then we need to look at What's the difference between skilled performers and unskilled performers? Some people think it's all physical. Well, this person's taller, faster, stronger. That's why they're a better player. And that's not the case at all. There are many other factors involved. And we'll get to some of those as we go along. So here's the information processing model. It starts on the left with this thing called selective attention. We need to perceive things. So right now, you're perceiving my voice, most of you. Some of you are actually looking at the screen and not really hearing my voice. You, I mean, there's sound, but you're looking at the screen and not actually hearing the words. So there's perception. And then there's a decision that happens. Did he just say something important that I better write down and make it a note, because it might be on the exam? So you make a decision. And then you have to execute an action. He said something important. I better write it. So you've got to send signals to your muscles of your arm and hand to begin writing. And then we have feedback. Oh, as I'm writing, I'm going below the line. I better go back up a little bit. And I correct my action. So we're going to talk about all of those pieces throughout the remainder of this course. Right? That's the model that we're talking about and we're going to break it down and talk about the individual components as we go along. So we've got to start with what is information? I've said we're doing an information processing approach. So what is information? You are processors of information. Right now, you're processing my voice, or the slide, or the text message that you're sending to your friend or whatever's on your computer screen that you think makes it look like you're a good student when actually you're doing something else, right? Or maybe the information is you feel a chair on your butt. Or maybe, can you guys all smell that food? Right? The moment I said that, now you kind of, oh yeah, you didn't realize it was there a minute ago, but now you can, right? Because you're processing information. So. If we're going to talk about information, we need to know how, how to measure it. And the unit of measurement that we're going to deal with and talk about throughout this course and the labs is called bits, bits of information. 
It's short for binary digits. Don't worry about that. It's not going to be on the exam. But that's where the word comes from. And so here's the definition of one bit of information. One bit of information is how much information is needed to reduce uncertainty by half. So easy words. All those words are really easy, but it probably means absolutely nothing to you. Let me illustrate with this example here. So here on screen, we have actually got five different examples. So let's start with the top left corner. You have a box, and in that box is a marble, a black marble. There's a lid on the box. We can see through it, but imagine that there's a lid on the box. How many questions would you have to ask me to figure out where that marble is? Would you have to ask any questions? No. There's one marble, one box. You know where it is. So in that first example, there are zero bits of information in that situation. You know where the marble is. Let's move on to the second one, where we have two boxes. How many questions will you have to ask me? And I can only answer yes or no. That's all I can say. That's Hence the term binary digits, two choices. Yes, no. How many questions will you have to ask me to find that marble? One or two? One question. You could say, is it on the left-hand side? And I say, no. Now you know the solution. If you say, is it on the right-hand side? I say, yes, and now you know the solution. So in that situation, there's one bit of information. Right? Let's go on to the third one, where we have four boxes. How many questions are you going to have to ask me to get the answer? Three? I hear some saying three. I hear some saying two. The correct answer is two. And here's how you would do it. You would split it in half and say, is it in the left-hand side? I say, no. And then you split it in half again, and you say, is it in the left-hand side? And I say, yes. Or you go right and then left. It doesn't matter. But with two questions, you could determine the answer. So there are two bits of information in that one. Now we get a little more complex. We have eight boxes. How many questions will you have to ask? Three. Yeah. You're going to split this in half, split it in half, and then split it in half. And you will figure it out. So you have three. Anybody want to take a guess at how many questions are necessary for the fourth one? Four. How can you do it? Well, there's lots of ways of doing it. Perhaps the easiest is to split it in half top to bottom. Is it in the top half? No. Then you split it in half this way and then split. So there are four bits of information in this problem. So the greater the number of bits, the more difficult the task is. So in the lab, in the next three, four weeks, you'll be doing multiple experiments 
where bits are the unit of measurement. The greater the number of bits, the more difficult the task is. The more information you are actually having to process. Okay? So, more bits equals more information being processed. Now, we're going to talk about some features in this model that we started with. Remember this selective attention, perception, decision, effector, that model. We'll start off with limited capacity. You and I, and all humans, have a limited capacity to process information. It is only so much can go into your brain at one time. So, this is manifested or displayed in a couple of different ways. Let me give you an example first of all. Pretend that this weekend, because it's Halloween coming up, you decide you're going to a friend's Halloween party. They're a good friend of yours. You're all dressed up in a fancy costume. Your friend has recently moved. They've sent you the address, told you what the house looks like. And so it's like 9 o'clock Saturday night. You're driving to this party. You're in a new street. You've never been on it before. You've got the radio cranked up loud because you're going to a party and you're feeling good and you've got great tunes on. And, and now you start driving down this residential street looking and it's pitch black, maybe a little rain, wind, perfect Halloween conditions. What are you going to do as you're driving in your car and you're looking for the address? Turn the radio down. Really, you'll turn down the radio so you can see better. Does that make any sense? Well, no, it doesn't really. But it does when you understand that the capacity to process information is limited. And if you're wasting processing capacity listening to radio, then you can't see quite as well. You can't process that information. Really bizarre, right? Well, not really. That's why we write exams nice and quiet. I could put music on when we write quiz one, but most of you wouldn't like that. Right? So limited capacity. Now, lost or filtered out. What does that mean? All right. I'm going to tell you what my phone number is. 903-175-9623. All right? Now, ignore that for a minute, and let's talk about filtered out. Right now, you're listening to my voice. Maybe you're looking at the screen. But you actually don't feel your butt on the chair. And you don't smell that food. But now you do. Why didn't you smell the food or feel your butt on the chair a minute ago? Because you filtered it out. Your brain is like a garden hose. The world around you is like the Alberta pipeline. It's like four feet in diameter. And it's shooting stuff through there. And you've got your little garden hose, your brain hooked up to that. How much is going in there? You can't get it all in. So what do you do? You filter it out. Can you imagine if sitting was incredibly painful? It was like being stabbed with knives or pins. And you'd be feeling that and trying to take notes and listen to me. and Like you couldn't do it. So you filter that out. That's filtered out. Now, what was that phone number I gave you? You wrote it down. 
There's no way you remembered that, right? So I don't even know what it was because I made it up. It's like, I don't know what it is. That is lost. Lost means the information goes in and then you don't pay attention to it so it goes away. It's in short-term memory for like up to 30 seconds and then it's gone. So two things happen. Stuff is constantly going in but if you don't pay attention to it, it gets lost or you don't let it in to start with, you filter it out. All right? So this happens to all of us because there's just so much information in the world we can't possibly process it all. Now, the processing time is cumulative. So remember I had stages in that model. There was perception, there was decision, there was effector. Think about it. You are gone swimming and you step in the bottom of the, the lake and it's a mushy, yucky mud bottom. I don't know if you've ever done that. Like it's not sharp and you have a reflex like Professor Sergio was talking about. It's mud and you kind of go, oh, that's gross, right? So a signal has to transfer all the way up to your brain. You perceive, ooh, that's gross. Now you have to make a decision. Am I going to go swimming or am I going to back out of the lake? And then you have to execute that. So then you've got to send signal back down to your muscle that says jump in or back out. Each of those stages takes a bit of time. It's cumulative. It adds up. And so we're going to be talking about how advantages at each stage can make you a better performer. Now, in your notes, you have this slide. And it says multitasking is a myth, and I want you to try this. All right? And we're going to do it twice. It's a real simple thing. You get to score yourself with a timer. All right? So don't start yet. I'll tell you when to start. I'll explain what I want you to do. All I want you to do is go along and copy each of these letters. So M, U, L, T, etc. Go all the way across to the end. And then when you finish, go back to the beginning, next row, write in the number. One, two, three, four, five, all the way across to the end. And when you finish, I want you to look up to the screen, because I've got a, I'll have a stopwatch there, and you just write down the number. So as soon as you finish, look up. Whatever number you see, write it down. All right, everybody understands what to do? So don't start yet. Let me get to the stopwatch. All right, I'll give you a countdown. I'll go three, two, one, and then you start. Try and write reasonably neatly. There's marks for this. Neatness counts. Not really, but anyway. Ready? Three, two, one, go. And if you've got a computer, you can just try tracing it. Move the mouse up and down. Okay, I suspect most of you are finished now. Write down the number that you've got. Time to complete. All right? Now, 
We're going to do that one more time, but we're going to do it differently this time. Skip a row. So skip, leave this row blank. And now you're going to do it in this fashion. You're going to write the first letter, and then you're going to go down and write the number one. Then write the next letter, then write the number two. Then the next letter, and then the number three, the next letter, the number four, until you get to the other side. When you've finished, write down the time that's on the clock. Everybody understand what's going on this time? All right, so let me get the clock up again. And we'll do a countdown. Ready? Three, two, one, go. So, my guess is that you are substantially slower the second time as opposed to or compared with the first time. Am I right? You don't put a number for the space, right? It doesn't matter. You can or you can't. It doesn't matter. So, why is that? Yeah. Yeah, so multitasking is the biggest load of crap there is. If you learn nothing else from this course, understand that multitasking is a terrible way to do anything. So if you are studying for an exam, I know students who want to have the TV on or the radio or they're Twittering or texting or Instagramming or Facebooking and think they're doing an efficient thing because they're multitasking. If someone applies for a job with me and they have on there, I'm an, an incredibly good multitasker, it goes in the garbage can. I don't want a multitasker. I want somebody who's focused. Focus on this task, finish it, then do this task. This is a Mickey Mouse activity, right? You're writing letters sitting in one spot. There's no thinking. If you try to multitask, you mess things up because we have limited capacity to process information. So some people put their hands up and they say, well, sir, if you practice, can you become good at multitasking? Yeah, you can become good. Why would you want to become good at something bad? Yeah, you're really good at something bad. Congratulations. No, don't go there. It's a lousy way to do things. Businesses have convinced people that it's a good thing to be multitasking. No, it's not. It's incredibly inefficient and error-prone. You probably found it much harder to do this second way compared to the first. So don't get distracted when you're driving. 
and try multitasking. Texting is way worse than being drunk when you're driving. Don't do either. Some people say, well, what about hands-free phone? I got both hands on the wheel. That's not good either. Well, why not? It's okay if you're in a car with passengers and the passenger is talking. Why is talking to somebody on a phone hands-free not good? Well, here's the difference. The passenger in the car when you're driving knows when to shut up. When you're driving and it's a dangerous situation, oh, that guy just cut in front of you and you're going to swerve and change lanes, that person will shut up. It's amazing. You watch video, they kind of, it's like they're driving, and then they start talking again. The person on the cell phone, they can't tell what you're doing. So they just natter on and on and on. You're in a life-threatening situation, and they're asking you, well, you didn't answer me. What's wrong with you? Right? So even hands-free is not a safe thing. It's better than on your phone like this, but it's still not a great thing. So don't do it, please. Now, there's a thing called SAOC, Speed Accuracy Operating Curve or Characteristic, where you can um, illustrate this limited capacity to process information and the difference between skilled performers and unskilled performers. So imagine that quiz one on Monday, you've got 40 minutes to do it. And let's just hypothetically pretend there are 120 questions on it. There are not. So don't leave here spreading a rumor there's 120 questions in 40 minutes. But let's just pretend that's what it was like. How accurate do you think you would be answering those questions? You're going to read real fast and you oh, that's A, that's C, that's B, that's A, C, D, right? To get finished in 40 minutes. When a task requires both speed and accuracy, something's got to give. Something will suffer. And so, you can either be real accurate and get 20 out of 40, pardon me, 20 out of a, what was the number I said? 120. You can get 20 out of 120, or you can be, uh, get all 120 right. No, you can get all 120 done, but not many of them right. Right? So, something has to give. I'll come back to this curve in one second. Imagine this scenario. You're sitting at a computer, and you've got your fingers resting on the keys, and a light goes on. When the light goes on, you have to press the corresponding key. Simple task. But I'm going to give $100,000 to the person who does it the fastest. How are you going to do that task? If you're smart, what you would do as soon as the light goes on, you just press both keys. Because accuracy doesn't matter. You just want to be incredibly fast. If, on the other hand, I say to you, if you make a mistake, you owe me $100,000, and we're going to take you into Central Square, stick you in a paddocks, you know those things where your head's sticking through, and people are going to throw grapes and tomatoes and stuff at you for 12 hours. Now what are you going to do? Accuracy matters, right? So you're going to wait and check, yeah, that light, that's this key. Okay, I'm going to press it. You're going to make darn sure you get it right. 
So, if we go back to that diagram, here is our speed accuracy curve. There are two different types of performers. We have highly skilled and we have unskilled. Please notice that the x-axis, the scale is inverted. Generally, near the origin here, the numbers are low. But on this scale, the numbers are high, meaning fast performance, and they slow down as you move to the right. It's not a big deal. It just gives you the curve flipped or inverse. Not a big deal. So what do we see? Well, if you move very, very slowly, you're going to have incredible accuracy. Right? Think about it. If you work really slowly, yep, I'm going to go and get it right. No question. If, on the other hand, you go very, very fast, what happens? You're going to have lousy accuracy. What it says there is chance accuracy. Chance means guessing. So on that 120 question exam on Monday, you guess all the way through. You got one in four chance on each question just by guessing, right? So that's chance accuracy. All right, let's look at our two performers now. Let's pick a speed that is about here. It doesn't matter where you pick it. Draw a straight line up so you hit both performers. Then go across to the x-axis, or the y-axis rather. And what do you notice? At the same speed, the skilled performer is better than the unskilled performer. At the same speed, the skilled performer has a better score than the unskilled performer. Got it? Make sense? Sure it does. So if I were to give you an arithmetic test, and it's things like what's 2 plus 2, 3 plus 1, 2 plus 3, how quickly could you do that test? Very fast. 2 plus 2 is 4, 2 plus 3 is 5. You'd be pretty quick at it. Suppose I gave that same test to a child in grade 1. How would they do? Well, they're going to go, well, what's 2 plus 2? Two? 2 plus 2. 1, 2, 3, 4. Meanwhile, you've finished 10 questions, right? At your intelligence, your ability. So, as a highly skilled performer, you can be very accurate at a high rate of speed. The unskilled performer is not as accurate at that high rate of speed. That's one rationale that some instructors would use for having lots of questions on a multiple choice exam. If you know your material, you should be able to read the question and know what the answer is right away. Yep, I know that, I know that. You're like 2 plus 2 is 4. You're not like the student in grade 1. 2 plus 2, oh, 4. That's the I'm not saying it's good rationale. I'm saying it's a rationale for why they might have a long exam and little time. So what happens here in the real world? Well, most of you either drive a car or have been passengers in cars. What happens if you drive faster than normal? I don't know if you've ever been speeding down side streets speed limit's 50 and you're going 80. It's like, whoa, this is dangerous. You shouldn't be doing it. Right? Or you're driving 150 on the 400 series highways. Things are flying by you. Whoa, I better slow down. Right? 
You slow down so that you can be more accurate. Another way to look at it is go and get a professional race car driver. These dudes drive like 200, 250 kilometers an hour. They can handle driving real fast, way better than you. Or if you drive a new way to York, for some reason your road is closed. You've driven that road for four years, you know every sign, everything on it, but now you have to go another route. You drive slower, because you don't know the route. Right? In football, one of the things they do to try and make the quarterback, that's the person who gets the ball and throws it or hands it off, to make their job tougher or make them less accurate, they will rush more players to try and tackle him. So he has less time to process, makes mistakes. In racket sports like squash and tennis, what you would like to do is force your opponent to perform faster than they're used to. And if you can do that, you will force them into making errors. One of the reasons the Toronto Maple Leafs hockey team has been more successful this last year and a half has been because they've become much faster. They don't give the opponent any time to get organized. And the opponent makes mistakes. And the Leafs capitalize on it. So this is one of the most obvious differences between skilled performers and unskilled performers. If you ever watch television and they're, they're interviewing an athlete who has come up from the minor leagues, they say, so what's the biggest difference between when you're playing in the minors and now that you're in the NHL? And the performer will always say something like, it happens so much faster at this level. And what does that mean? I have less time to respond. I am less accurate. I have to learn how to adjust to this new speed, this new level. So skilled performers are more accurate, which means somehow they've increased their processing capacity. Right? It's the same problem. Two plus two. I give it to you, or I give it to a kid in grade one. The problem is the same difficulty. Why can you process it faster than this person? What happens when you exercise? What happens to your muscles? They get big, right? Here's evidence. Look at these massive muscles. So much exercise. Can I look around the room and look at, look at the size of this guy's brain? My god, it's massive. Like, he knows math coming out his ear. I can tell that the head size doesn't change. The brain doesn't change. It's not like his brain is swollen against his skull because he's got so much knowledge in there. So how is it? Muscles get bigger when you exercise them. How is your brain able to process more information? Because your brain doesn't change. Well, when you're growing up, you, your brain changes. But once you're adults like you folks, it's not going to get any bigger. So what's going on? Somehow they've increased their... The garden hose? It's still a garden hose. The answer is that you have stored in long-term memory all these experiences that you've gathered through practice, through repetition. So when I say to you what's 2 plus 2, none of you have to do the finger thing. You just know what it is because you've got it stored away. How about the multiplication table? 
What's 7 times 7? Most of you should have memorized, like it's 49, right? 7 times 8 is 56. You just should know it. You've got it stored. The same thing happens with daily life activity. At the end of this lecture, you're going to go somewhere. You never think about walking up these stairs. You just do it. Right? You've stored the experience. Nike has a wonderful slogan. What's the Nike slogan? Just do it. That is so perfect for this course. And because I've been teaching this course longer than Nike's been around, I will claim that I invented it, Nike stole it from me. Skilled performers do not think. They just do it. So whenever you see those television interviews after the person scores the game-winning basket or the game-winning goal, so what were you thinking when you did that? The athlete will always say something because they haven't taken this course. What they should really say is, I don't know, I wasn't thinking, I just did it. But that's not what they do. They come up with it, well, I saw a buddy over in the corner there, and I did this, and I did that. No, you didn't. It's all BS. You just did it. You respond. Just like at the end of this lecture, you're going to walk up these stairs. None of you are thinking about, okay, right foot, go here. Left foot, go there. Right foot, go there. Yeah. Most of you can chew gum and walk up the stairs and talk to your friend and text. You're not even thinking about, you just do it. You have increased your processing capacity to allow you to do this. And this process that I'm describing, later on in the course, we're going to talk about stages of learning. And the third stage of learning is the autonomous stage, where you behave in an automatic fashion. You just walk up the stairs. You don't think about it. You don't think about how to open the door when you go to leave. You just do it. And so this process is often referred to as chunking. You put these activities together and you just do it. So I got on the board here an example. Imagine for a moment that you are a young child learning to read. And you see the letters T, H, and E. And so you start to sound it out. You know your alphabet, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? You know that. So now you look and say, well, that's a T, 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 H, T, H, T, H, E, T, H, E. That word is T, H, E. And the teachers go, no, 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 it's the. Okay, T, the, the. You go through it a bunch of times, and eventually you no longer see these letters, T, H, E. You see the word the. It's the same thing when you're texting. When I text, it takes me like two minutes to type a short sentence. I go T, H, E. I watch you folks test, and it's like Brrr. There it is, right? Because you've learned those patterns. It's just something you do naturally. You have chunked it together, and it's what we call, or as a result of what's called the power law of learning, or power law of, of practice, which we will talk about a little bit later in the course as well. So you chunk this stuff together, and you just run it off. Finish off with this last piece here. To become skilled, there's a cost. There's actually two items in this cost. Number one, it takes time. 
to become highly skilled takes an awful lot of time. It took you folks like 10 years to learn how to walk. Now you're skilled walkers, right? Maybe it wasn't 10 years, maybe it was five years, and now you're real good at walking. So there's a cost. The second thing is it's task specific. You're all highly skilled walkers. That doesn't mean you can play the piano. Doesn't mean you're good at gymnastics. Someone who's in gymnastics isn't necessarily any good at playing the piano. So it's task specific. So the costs to become highly skilled are time and specificity. Practicing the piano is not going to make you good at gymnastics. And that's been referred to as automization through particularization. You become automatic at a particular activity that you work at. Okay? All right, we'll stop there. We will carry on on, well, I guess it's next Wednesday because Monday is the quiz. So we'll see you. And a reminder again, none of this material is on quiz one. It'll be on quiz two. Have a good rest of the week and enjoy reading days. We'll see you on Monday, most of you. <laughs>